I mean, content is therapy. Content is, um, yeah, content is one of the beautiful things about the internet. And it's obviously has its incredibly dark side where the wrong information is, is propagated. But what you have on the flip side is this ability to be closer to and be influenced by thinkers uh, that can really change and shift your, your way of life. Hello and welcome to Freelance Pod. My name's Sachandrika and I'll be your host. Freelance Pod is all about how the internet has changed creativity. So today's episode is all about how books and publishing work in the internet age. I spoke to book editor Parol Bavishi about writing, getting started on a book, building your audience, all of that fun stuff. Let's hear from Parol on how she got into her job, what the Writer's Hour is all about, and what's been helping her write through the pandemic lockdown. Hello, my name is Parul Bavishi. I am an editor at Publishing Uncovered and at the Story Grid. I am the co-founder of the London Writer's Salon, where we help writers write more and more often with more success. One of the things that we're doing during lockdown which I'd love to invite you to be a part of the Daily Writer's Hour. So every morning between 8 and 9 a.m. BST, we write together, alone but together. Um, Can you summarise your career to date, please? I ended up uh, doing an internship for what was then a very tiny publisher called Quirkus Publishing. And I interned for them uh, making tea, doing post, doing anything uh, in sort of my late 20s. Because I, I, I just thought, well, I've got to do something that I actually want to wake up and do and really fall in love with. And I ended up getting a job there. Uh, and around that time, uh, Christopher McLehose, who is a very, very prestigious publisher, um, he had bought this little known book called The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo from a Swedish publisher. And it was going around the houses. And I was doing this little competition with the CEO at the time of who could get through the manuscripts faster fastest and it's the sort of life at the time that I I just was so new to me this loving my work loving every single day going to work I remember going going in with a pile of manuscripts on my on my lap before the Kindle came out Uh, and and so I fell in love with publishing I worked for Quirkus Um, we helped set up a children's department there Uh, you know so when I say children's I don't mean picture books a little bit older than that um, sort of middle grade, young young adult, some crossover books as well. And then I got poached by Random House uh, Publishers. Uh, and the recruiter told me at the time that there were a lot of people who were interested in the job. So I felt very, very, very lucky. <laughs> when you work in publishing, you're always made to feel lucky, even though you get paid peanuts, because so many people want your job. But I really loved working at Random House. I got to work on some really interesting titles with great authors. Um, but... I started to get a little bit disillusioned by how slow the industry was, how things would move so slowly. I took another year out and I ended up uh, afterwards, I worked for Literary Scout, which is a fantastic role, by the way. It's like being a publishing spy. I never even knew it existed when I was an editor. But as a literary scout, you scour the market in the UK on behalf of a foreign publisher. So I had to read all the at the time, the children's books, I had to know everything that was being published at any one given point in time. So that by the time the book fairs came along, I could tell, you know, Random House Germany or sort of Mondadori Italy, um, or Random House Spain, which books they had to concentrate on that they should buy. Um, so you sort of had to do a lot of subterfuge, a lot of like 
getting hold of manuscripts on the sly, reading them, digesting them, assessing them. Uh, it, was, it was awesome fun. Um, how I got to where I am now, which is that I, I'm an editor, so I, I, I essentially work for a number of aspiring writers. I work for some published writers who want some extra support, and I also do things like the London Writers' Salon, is that I left for a little bit to, to work in the startup world, but uh, you know what? Books just drew me back. I just I couldn't be without editing. It's just it's just how I'm wired. I just love reading a whole manuscript or, or working with an author on on a whole concept and helping them hammer it home. It's it's hard work, but I love it. And so after the startup world, I ended up uh, working for myself, setting up a very small sort of editorial company. And I'd met this guy Matt um, at Escape the City. It's called Escape to the Woods years and years ago. And, oh, we stayed in touch. And I was telling him about some of the things that I was doing in the publishing world. Um, I wanted to, you know, I was trying to sort of unearth the world of publishing. I'd called it Publishing Uncovered because I was trying to, like, bring to light all the discussions I had with my publishing friends that I thought that a lot of writers didn't didn't have access to. And we got talking about this because he came from this blogging background, self-publishing background, and I came from this traditional publishing industry background. Uh, and we just thought, well, wouldn't it be so cool if we created a community where we could really, really hone in on the craft of writing, where we interviewed writers that really inspired us across all mediums um, and, you know, had these honest conversations in, in, a, in a sort of public space. And so we decided to pitch uh, the library in St. Martin's Lane this idea and they took it I think a week before our first event I remember Matt talking to me and saying do you know what I think we've done it too um it's too last minute I don't think anyone's going to come I said why don't we postpone it and I remember saying to him I don't care I just want to have this conversation in public with my it's my friend and editor Neve Mulvey she was at the time I think she was a commissioning editor and editorial director at um, Hachette. And I said, I just want to have this, I want to bring to light this conversation that, that we often have about the publishing industry. Um, and so we we went ahead and did it. And actually 30 people showed up. We were surprised, but we loved it. And so this was a year ago uh, and we continued to run events. We started doing events the Soho House with Albright. And then the lockdown happened. Oh my. <laughs> and we had an event coming up with Holly Bourne, who I love. She's an awesome uh, young adult and and uh, an adult writer and she really just has this magic skill of really getting to the heart of what people are thinking she her characters are so authentic and so we had this event lined up with her and Matt and I we, you know we were all getting the news of everything that was happening and we just thought what can we do how do we respond to this we thought well gosh we'll probably put stuff online I guess I haven't really thought how we're going to do that but let's do that but what else can we do and I remember it was a Sunday night and Matt and I were like, well, wouldn't it be nice if we just wrote every single day? Maybe, I don't know if we even were that coherent about it. But why don't we just write? Why don't we for like two weeks commit to writing every single morning and see if anyone wants to come along on this journey with us? And I was like, oh, okay, sure. Uh, let me go into Canva and try to mock up some pictures. And the first couple were really awful. Uh, and it took a long time. I think we really pushed it. Like it was getting close to midnight or whatever before we actually published it. And we were advertising for the next morning. 
Um, and so I thought, oh, it's okay. No one's going to show up. It's fine. At least Matt and I will write together. That'd be good because we both have books we're working on as well. And nine people showed up. I was like, awesome. This is so nice. I don't. I feel a little bit less alone. Uh, and we continued it. It's been seven weeks now. Uh, we've had over 500 writers join us. What was it like working at Quercus back in 2008 when um, it was publishing the English translation of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo by Stieg Larsson? Kind of arguably that's the title that made Quercus's name. I remember being around when they were publicising it and it wasn't a done deal at all. You know, back then, this was 2008, maybe 2007, 2008, like people weren't interested in foreign books. And they still aren't to a large degree. It's a very big sort of, uh, it's an issue. English speaking, uh, uh, the market can be quite reluctant, can be quite resistant to reading these foreign editions. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was actually rejected by a number of other um, English publishers, but it was accepted by McLehose Press, which specialised in in these sort of uh, foreign editions, works in translation, because it costs money to translate, you see. And so I watched Nikki and, and that team just sort of run around. They were getting hold of all the bloggers they possibly could. They were giving away free copies at Waterloo, London Waterloo Station. And it just, it, it started to like started to snowball. It started to you know, come to the point where people were demanding the next book on the next book and sort of half jokingly saying, oh gosh, I'm going to have to learn Swedish in order to read the next book because we were waiting for them to be translated. And it, t- it really made the fortune of that company. So Quercus then, that was their, their big title. I mean, not, not so much anymore, but that was the title that really pushed them um, into, into the big league. Before that, they were a small publisher. And I know, and I know this because I remember going to uh, WH Smith's. I, I sort of uh, tagged along to the sales team and uh, we overheard someone in Smith's sort of slightly bad-mouthing us saying, Oh, yeah, they're not really that big apart from Larson. And I was like, well, kind of right, actually. Because you get treated accordingly, but at least back then by the retailers. If you're a big publisher, you get given a bit more prestige. Or when you're a small little indie publisher, which we were at the time, you're not really, you're only as good as your last big book. So I, lo- I love Steve Larson. I love that entire series. And I reread that as well as Lee Child, Jack Creature, and Harry Potter. Uh, and Stephen Leather. I reread those entire series every single year. It's like my comfort read. Tell me how the Writer's Hour works and uh, how it alleviates some of the problems of trying to write under lockdown. We always started by saying, listen, this isn't, this isn't magic. What's magic is this community. What's magic is you who show up and actually write with us. We just want to hold that space for you. We want to be here every single day at the same time and we ask everyone to um, sort of share their intentions for the day. And we love seeing the, the range across uh, all the different mediums. You've got you know, uh, someone doing a PhD thesis, someone doing poetry, someone writing a novel, someone writing a blog post, someone just journaling, someone doing a grant application. Just people who want to write and they want to write together. So we, we, we talk about being alone together and it sounds kind of it sounds kind of trite like I would almost if I wasn't part of it I would think yeah you're just sort of blowing smoke up your own ass like but actually there's something that happens um when you get together every single day with a group of people like so like on on this in terms of just number of words written uh 
uh, one girl said today that she'd written 80,000 words with us since we started. Um, and then another, another uh, friend of mine actually has joined us and she's, um, she's, she was just saying how much, how well she's doing on her PhD uh, since she's joined us. Um, there's another really lovely um, lady who has been frightened of posting something on her blog and she did that through us. So the concept is pretty straightforward. You sign in at 8 a.m., you set your intention, you cheers with a hot drink and you get down to work. And then afterwards, we call on people to share their work. And then afterwards, after the hour is done, Matt and I tend to hang out for five, 10 minutes afterwards for anyone who wants to chat. And I've been in tears sometimes, some of the stuff that people have brought up because people, especially now in the lockdown, people are coming with all sorts of things that are going on in their lives. Like some people, uh, you know, may have lost someone uh, or they're struggling uh, with grief from something else that maybe it's triggered by the lockdown. Some people are lonely. I, I want, I, and this is what I'm curious about. Is it, is it because we're in lockdown right now? Is that what it is? Is it that we are essentially, we, you know, we can't go to a cafe and, and have that buzz around us, so therefore this is the equivalent? Or is it that inherently for many of us, writing is an incredibly personal and difficult thing to do? We're so plagued by self-doubt. And, and also we're plagued by distractions that we need some sort of sense of grounding. And that grounding is a bunch of people in a room on Zoom. We've, we get emails all the time. Uh, every day, in fact, we, we'll get a. We'll normally get at least one, at least one, if not several, messages, and we'll have people. Um, you know, we have a Patreon page, we have a Buy Us a Coffee page. We get a lot of emotion about people uh, from from people's messages saying, "This is what's keeping me going." Um, and, and in sort of more extreme cases where people are going through actually really difficult circumstances, they're like, "This is what I wake up for." And again, it's what you're saying is interesting, this idea of uh, how our brains are adapting to this, to the online world. We're forced to in this particular case because we literally can't go anywhere else. And I feel like scrolling and, and being just watching videos online is no longer um, enough. Because if, for example, there are people on YouTube who, who film themselves studying and say, join me. So you can actually watch someone that sounds a bit strange, but it's true. Like you can, there's this medical student and he's like, well, if you're also studying medicine, why don't you join me? Here's a video. And he's literally just pointed the video camera at him and he's studying. He's also quite good looking, which I imagine helps. But um, I think, I think now we, I certainly have a sort of like a need for live real humans as close as I possibly can. And if it means it's on zoom, I'll take it. And I think we are, I feel like in this lockdown, I'm certainly adapting to this new normal of, live being the best I can possibly get. There is something about the collective community. Um, I, it's interesting. My, so I, I'm a big, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of this editor. He's sort of my editorial mentor, a guy called Sean Coyne, and he's, he's created the StoryGrid universe. That's the StoryGrid website, storygrid.com. That link will be in the show notes too. Now back to Parole. The story good universe that I, I write for, I subscribe to them, I, I run a podcast for them. And he talks about this concept of the new sphere, which is like the collective consciousness. You are, you are contributing to the narrative of the world. In that Zoom room when we're there together, there's this, I feel like I can almost sense that, con that collective, that we're all trying to make a better world 
that's how it feels. It feels like we're there to try and make the best of the situation we have right now. I mean, content is therapy. Content is, um, yeah, content is one of the beautiful things about the internet. And it's obviously has its incredibly dark side where the wrong information is, is propagated. But what you have on the flip side is this ability to be closer to and be influenced by thinkers uh, that can really change and shift your, your way of life. You know, I always think about this idea of the average of the five people you spend time with. You know, I don't know where it came from, that concept, but it's been bandied around forever. Who is that? Like, I spend a lot of time with my girlfriend. Um, I'm probably influenced by her. It's people that I don't actually know very well or, or rarely see them. And, and it's through podcasts. It's through their blog. So it's like Sean Coyne, my editor or my editorial mentor, uh, Ryan Holiday, Grant Cardone, Seth Godin. These people, I, I will think about what they say and I'll try and apply it to what I do. And this is where the power of the internet is. And the, the only reason I mention it now is obviously this has been around for ages, but I've never felt so in need of it as I did, as, as I have recently. So when, when this sort of terrible situation occurred here, I was trying to find the right thinkers to follow to push me into the right mindset. And I tend to be quite tough love. I need tough love. So I was listening to Grant Cardone. I was listening to Ryan Holiday and what their take was on the lockdown and, and particularly how to apply this to, to art when it came to Ryan Holiday um, or Seth Godin. They all have these really interesting opinions. So I feel like in this age, we have so many opportunities if only we follow them. Here's Parole's advice on writing a book in the digital age. Okay, so if you're new to writing and you're thinking, yeah, I really want to write a book, here are two questions you can ask yourself. One of them, the first one, is what's the takeaway of the book? What do I want my reader to go away feeling, knowing? The second question is, who would you like to share a shelf with? So there are going to be some books in the market that you think, yeah, I would love for readers of that book to read my book. Once you've answered those questions, you can have a look at those titles and ask yourself what the takeaways are from those books. And if you really want to push it further, you can actually determine what the genre is. Like what, is what is the value at stake in that book? And if you want to be super sort of geeky, you can also look at what's the beginning, middle and end of that book? How do they hook us into that story? How do they build on that story? And what is the inevitable but surprising ending to that story? And that can just help kickstart your thought about your story. I get a lot of people ask me, okay, I have an idea for a book, and let's say it's nonfiction, especially when it's like a freelancer. Um, what should I do? Should I self-publish? Uh, or should I go down the traditional route? Now, here are my thoughts on this. And I bear in mind that I come from the traditional world. So I've seen that. Um, but all my work with the London Writers Salon, I'm working very closely with Matt Trinetti, uh, who's self-published and, and, and blogged. I've, I've definitely been opening my eyes up to the other, the other side of things. I think that in the end, the way you approach publishing is um, <laughs> there's no one right path for, for sure. Being self-published means you have a lot more control. You will be responsible for you know commissioning the editors, the designer, etc., and distribution. Which you know, let's be honest, most of it's going to be on on Amazon probably, 
um, if it's an ebook. Uh, but on the flip side, you get to keep a lot more of the royalty. So I find that where someone has either has a large-ish audience or is open to growing that audience, self-publishing is a perfectly good route to go down. Now, a lot of people like the prestige of going down a publish, publish route, and that's absolutely fine. Um, to do that, I think that finding an agent, particularly in the UK and the US, is, is important. Um, and getting a publishing deal is great. Uh, your advance can really vary. Um, it doesn't mean that you're going to become rich overnight. In fact, probably probably not so much. Uh, but what's good about that is that they have all that stuff I talked about, the designing, the editorial, they'll, they'll do that for you. Um, you will get a lot less royalty um, because, because they take a cut, a massive cut. Um, the one thing that stays true whether you're self-published or published, is that you'll probably have to do a lot of the publicity and marketing yourself. Most publishing houses will um, allocate at some point, maybe, I don't know, six, seven months before your publication, you know, where, where you sit, where that book sits in their schedule, how much money can, can they realistically allocate, depending on who you are. Um, and I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. So whether you go down the self-published route, which for some people is, like I say, it's purely they, they want full control and that's, they're happy to take that sort of hit on prestige if you, if you see it like that. When someone comes to me and asks if they should get traditionally published or self-published, I ask them why they want to get published. What are they out for? Is it because they want to grow their brand? Well, self-publishing could probably do that for you. But in order to do that, you probably have to start your publicity, your marketing, at the same time, choosing one form, one platform that works for you and consistently putting content out there. So for example, if you're writing a book about setting up a, a startup, you might want to test out some of those ideas in articles. Actually, just test out the material. Uh, send out, you can send out extracts to your, to your newsletter. You can start to uh, build a group of beta readers who will help you um, and support your book as it comes out. The other, the other thing is, in order for all of this to work, the thing that you have to do is, I guess, be, be, I want to say, be true to who you are. Be, have the courage to to write about what you really want to write about. Otherwise, none of this is worth it. Like I sometimes I think that people see publishing as a as an as an end game, and I think it's just one of many many ways that we can reach our audience, people who we can help. And what's coming up next at the London Writers' Salon? We have Chris Gullibo talking about how to create a writing community. Uh, that's coming up at the end of May. We also have a masterclass for how to pitch a literary agent with Rachel Mann from the Joe Unwin Agency. And we have a wonderful masterclass with Louise Grossart, who is a picture book editorial director. And she'll be talking about how to create a picture book. Thanks to Parole for talking about writing during lockdown with me. If you'd like to find her on the internet, she's at Parole Edits on Twitter and at Publishing Uncovered on Instagram. The London Writer Salon is at Writer's Salon, two S's in the middle there on Twitter. And London Writer Salon, again, two S's there on Instagram. And of course, all those links will be in the show notes too. Thank you for listening. We'll speak again soon. In the meantime, please do rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you did enjoy this episode, please do tell a friend. If you'd like to chat to me, you can get in touch over social media. And I love hearing from you. Take care of yourselves. Bye.